I want to teach something tonight that's uh, just about as simple and about as basic as you can get. Uh, it's, I don't expect to say anything that anybody has not heard before, but um, I know that I don't get things the first time I hear them. So it's important for you to hear and hear and hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. Thy word is settled in heaven. Now I want you to understand what that means. That means the word, any promise of God, anything that is that you can find in Scripture that God has made us aware of is settled and cannot change. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a parable about being a doer of the word. We'll start in verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So he's talking about being a doer of the word. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now notice the same storm happened in both cases. The only difference is that one had a foundation, a sure foundation underneath him. The wise man had built his house on the word, was standing on the rock of God's word. The foolish man was standing on anything or everything else. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice they weren't astonished at him. They weren't astonished at his, at his uh, miracles. They weren't astonished at how good looking he was. They were astonished at what he taught. Why? Verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority. I'm reading from the King James. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This is a real lousy translation, in my opinion, because the word one is not there. It's added by the translators. And the words as having literally means the manner to hold. That's what these words mean in the Greek. The manner to hold or how to hold. So it's literally saying, for he taught them how to hold or how to have authority and not as the scribes. Now notice the connection between how to have or how to hold authority. And building your house upon the rock. In other words, he's saying the authority that we operate here in this life has to do with the foundation of being built on the word. Let me uh, remind you or or invite you to turn with me, if you will, to to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, writing to the church, finishes his letter with what I believe is the most important thing that he's trying to get across to them. The apex or the culmination of all the things that he said up to this point in time or, you know, in the previous chapters. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, for this reason, because you've got an enemy that's trying to destroy you, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. William's translation says, when evil attacks you. That you may be able to stand when evil attacks you. And having done all to stand, so that tells us there's a preparation involved. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth. And it talks about the other pieces of the armor. The Bible tells us. In Hebrews chapter 11, that we know that the worlds and everything that we live, everything that we know of in the physical realm, the universe itself, everything about this earth, 
was created with words. In other words, the word of God is more real than the, than the ground, you, the physical ground that you and I stand on here on this earth. The word of God is more real than the chair you can reach out and touch. The word of God is more real than whatever difficult or adverse circumstances come against you. There is nothing more real than the word of God. Jesus said in several places, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. I like other translations on that because instead of saying pass away, it talks about disappearing because that's what it means. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Another time he went so far as to say heaven and earth shall pass away or disappear, but not one before one King James says tittle. Other translations say jot. If you look up that word, it means uh, the, the smallest part of a letter, what we might consider to be the accent mark over a letter, or maybe the eye, the dot on the eye. He said, heaven and earth will pass away before one smallest part of God's word fails. Now, folks, back to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, whosoever... Heareth these things of mine and doeth them. It's like a man that builds his house upon the rock. But the foolish man builds his house upon something else. Now what's the something else that we can build our house on? Well those would be circumstances or things that we see of this life. Part of heaven and earth. Part of that which will pass away. Uh, really part of the excuses. So many of the excuses that people use not to be doers of the word. You might see that the word of God says that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, but with, and with his stripes you were healed. Yeah, but the doctor said this. Now, folks, let me, let me say up front, I don't have any problem with doctors. I appreciate honest ones. And an honest doctor will tell you he can't heal you. He can treat you. You ever notice when you go into a doctor's office, first thing he says is, what's the matter? That's kind of why you're there, isn't it? Find out what's the matter. All they're doing is finding out what you say the circumstances are and then treating those symptoms. A doctor can't heal. A doctor can't take away sickness and disease. He can treat the symptoms and hope the sickness and disease goes away. Or if he's a surgeon, he can cut out a tumor or something that's, that's there, foreign, uh, foreign matter or foreign substance in your body and hope that's the end of it. But a doctor can't heal you. And an honest one will tell you that. A Christian doctor will tell you that he's working with God and he'll pray when he's doing the other stuff or pray while he's treating you because he knows there's a, there's a work that goes on that goes deeper than a surgeon's knife can cut. But look at how many people use doctor reports for his excuses or reasons not to be doers of the word. Well, Pastor Mike, the word of God can't be true. Jesus couldn't have taken my sickness and infirmities. Because the doctor says, I've still got them. Which is more true. Heaven and earth will pass away. Doctor's reports pass away. But my word will never fail. My word will never fail. I really wish I could get across some things that I see. Because this last week, the Lord dealt with me about forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And it, I'm telling you what, I've been thinking on it, meditating on it ever since. And it's like, wow, how simple that is. But quite frankly, that governs everything. 
Smith Wigglesworth was used greatly in, uh, in uh, well, he had a different kind of ministry. He had the gift of faith and operation in his life in, in a great measure. So much so that I don't think he was, at least from reading after him and, and some of the things that was written about him, it didn't seem like he was aware of the, the fact that he had a, a measure of faith and ministered with a measure of faith that was unlike what many other people had. And, and honestly, I see that a lot of times in, in ministers. People that are used in a certain way, it seems natural to them. It comes natural to the way that God uses them. And so they just assume that it's the way that God would use anybody or everybody else. I know there was a fellow that I went to Bible school with that God used him really, really um, well in a, in a real spectacular way where psalms and hymns were concerned. And he'd just get psalms just all over the place. And so he would he would tell people, well, everybody's supposed to do this. And the Bible says that we're to sing, sing to ourselves spiritual songs and hymns and stuff like that, singing to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so forth. And And there's a measure of that that's right. But it was the way that God used him, and he thought everybody was supposed to do the same thing. But he had something special from the Lord in that. And it took him years to figure out that not everybody had that same measure as he did. Well, during that period of time that it took him to take, to realize what was going on, he put a whole lot of people under condemnation. Telling them that they were supposed to have something that seemed so natural and so easy to him. Denying all the time that he had anything extra from the Lord and made a lot of people feel bad because they felt like, well, I must not be measuring up to what I'm supposed to be or yielding to the Lord or something. But he came to realize that. Well, Wigglesworth was that way where the gift of faith was concerned, it seems. Because God would use him in some, some marvelous ways where the gift of faith was concerned. And he thought, or at least the way that he preached, he just taught that it was ordinary faith. He taught that it was just faith in the word. Now, the thing about the gift of faith, which is interesting, Brother Hagin used to describe it this way. He said, when you're operating in the gift of faith, you know what God's going to do ahead of time. Well, Wigglesworth was that way. He knew what God was going to do ahead of time. But when, if you just leave it at that, at that definition and don't explain it anymore, then it makes it sound like God's always doing everything instantly, and you know up front that that's the way it's going to work. And that's not the case at all. Some of the greatest operations of the gift of faith were the things that took the longest. Look at the Old Testament patriarchs. These guys would gather their children around, but just before they died, gather their children around and prophesy things over them that wouldn't happen for hundreds of years. Have you ever noticed the Bible says to prophesy according to the measure of your faith? It says everybody can prophesy, but then it says prophesy according to the measure of your faith. So the gift of faith a lot of times inspires you to say things that are not going to be instantaneous results. That's the way it worked with Wigglesworth. Now, he, he operated in a couple of different ways. There were different ways that God used him, so he got a lot of instant results. But when the gift of faith was in operation, many times it was to hold him steady over the period of time that it took for, for things to work themselves out. He told a story about one guy. They were in uh, an open-air meeting. He said they ran a meeting for three weeks in uh, some city in England. Had an open-air setting. It was in the summertime, so they had an open-air setting. And uh, it, they didn't have any amplification, any speakers or anything like that. Uh, audio speakers is what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and so they were just kind of out in an open area. There were some surrounding hills and, and that type of thing. He said the first night of the meeting, a guy came up to him, and he was uh, what he described as stone deaf. And he meant that literally. He could not hear a thing. He was as deaf as a rock. And, and Wigglesworth, he red lips, 
And uh, so Willsworth laid hands on him and prayed for him and commanded him to be healed, sent him on his way. Well, he came back the next day. They had morning meetings and evening meetings. He came back the next day. No difference. And each time that he would come to the meeting, came for three weeks, each time he came to the meeting, he would take his chair and move it right in front of the platform where Wigglesworth was. People didn't walk in those days and preach and stuff. So he was standing behind the podium or rostrum, whatever they had, you know, and preach this way, preach this way, that kind of stuff. So he was staying stationary. So this guy would drag his chair up right in the front row, sit right in the front, make a place for himself so he could read Wigglesworth's lips. And every time he did that, Wigglesworth said the devil spoke in his, in his ear, spoke, spoke to Wigglesworth. And he said, it's not working this time. You're done. You're finished. And, of course, the implication is if these people find out that it doesn't always work, you're not going to get any results at all. Here you commanded this man to be healed last night, and it didn't happen. And each time Wigglesworth would answer, it's done. One week goes by, this guy every, every service, dragging his chair up. So he can read Wigglesworth's lips. Everybody sees this guy. I mean, when the preaching starts, all the singing, everything else is over. This guy grabs his chair, brings it right to the front. Everybody's heads is on a swivel watching this guy take his chair right over to the front. They know what it means. He's still deaf. Wigglesworth said it cast a pall over the whole meeting. They had a few small things happen. But for the most part, they got very, very little results. And it was a place that God told him to go. The third week before the service really got, before the preaching got going, the the preliminaries and and those types of things, during the third week, they were all singing and praising God. And all of a sudden, this guy looks around, gets wild-eyed, and goes running out of the meeting. Running right down the center aisle. Everybody saw him. He passes by. Everybody watches him go out. Open-air setting, like I said. So he goes running up into the hills. He gets about 60 yards away, and he stops And he asked the Lord, this is all part of his testimony that he gave later on. He asked the Lord, Lord, what is going on? The Lord said, I just opened your ears. Now, he'd been deaf from birth, so he'd never heard a sound. And when he heard everybody singing, he heard all the noise, he thought he was losing his mind. It was such a shock that he got up into the hills and the Lord, he asked the Lord, what happened? The Lord said, I just opened your ears. Well, he came back down. Now he's listening to the singing. He gets acclimated a little bit to it, so he walks into the, the service Comes back in, everybody sees that he's calmed down, so they call him up to the platform, find out what go, what's going on. He gives the testimony, and they started having miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle because of that. See, that broke the, the, the barrier of doubt that was surrounding the meeting because everybody's watching it and looking, at, looking like this guy, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working for him, why is it going to work for me? Wigglesworth used to have a saying, I love this saying. Uh, one of these days I'll understand it. He used to say this. He used to talk about how the, the, the greatest victories come out of the hardest tests. He said, don't go looking for the easy places. He said, rejoice when it looks like things aren't working. Because that's the place where the glory of God can be seen. Here's the saying that he used. He said, only melted gold gets minted. He's talking about the fire of your faith, the fiery trial or the fiery test of your faith. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what most people are looking for, isn't it? Most people want the instant result. Most people want the glorious result without the tough fight. Let's just say a prayer. Pastor Mike, pray for me. 
Let's just say a prayer. Make it nice. Make it short. And then let's see God's power at work. That's not always the way it works, folks. Look at the people that Jesus made it hard to get healed. Look at the blind man that he walked away from, made him chase after him. And then finally, when he did, when he showed his perseverance, he showed his dedication, his determination to have nothing less than what he had heard the others were receiving. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He didn't even say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I was hoping that you'd be determined enough to make it. And since you are, God's going to do something special. He didn't even say that. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Can't find one person in Jesus' ministry that ever turned away. But you can find a number of people that Jesus kind of made it tough for. Why? Because there's a fight to faith. Faith, which is always based, which has a foundation of God's word. If it's not based on God's word, if it's not founded on God's word, it's not Bible faith. It's a building on sand. Now, you know, if you take sand and you pound down on it long enough, it'll be hard as a rock. But it's not a rock. It'll get hard like a rock. First storm that comes along will show you the difference between the real rock and the sand that feels hard like a rock. Everybody that came to Jesus, he looked for faith. And so often the word of God is such a departure from what we expect. Late John Lake called it this. John Lake talked about the contradiction of faith. Because real Bible faith contradicts everything you can see. Real Bible faith contradicts everything you feel. And that's the real test. That's the real choice that we have as Christians. Do we believe the word? Because God said it. Or do we think, well, you know, maybe there's a reason. Every excuse that the church has come up with, thinking that God causes sickness, coming up with reasons why God doesn't answer prayer, Whatever else you want to use, whatever else you want to add to the list, every excuse that the church has come up with is a determined, a deliberate choice to turn away from the word. Well, I prayed. I've had people say, Pastor Mike, I believe God and it didn't work. Well, either God's a liar or you're a liar. I don't know about you, but I've pretty much decided which of the two I'm going for. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not fail. My words will never fail, Jesus said. I wonder if he really meant that. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Paul is, um, well, the author of Hebrews, I think it's Paul. Uh, is uh, is encouraging them. Let's start in verse 11. He said, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, stick it out. Our desire, Paul's desire, his company, my desire is that you stick things out. Don't give up. That you be not slothful, verse 12, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Notice it's faith and patience. Folks, if you get instant results every time you pray, there's no patience involved. If faith always works instantly, there's no reason for it to have patience. Patience is only necessary during delay. And that's the part nobody likes. 
That's the part where most people give up. They may start off in faith, but when they turn loose of it, when they release their faith and and give up, what they've done is they've said, I'm not willing to be patient to inherit the promise. That's when they shift from the rock of God's word over to the circumstance. And they build their house on what they see or the way that they feel. But we desire that you hang in to the end and that you be not slothful, but followers of them who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, here's God swearing. God swearing is different than other people swearing. Here's God swearing. Surely. That's it. Surely. Blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. In other words, God's God's swearing... God's confirmation, the oath that he gave is, this is really going to happen. Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, talking about Abraham, he obtained the promise. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, in a conflict or a disagreement between two people, once you make an oath, once you bind yourself, to something greater that would be the equivalent of what we know of as somebody co-signing with you or, um, you know, backing you up on a debt or something like that. That's the end of all strife. Once you provide collateral, once you provide something that even if you don't come through, the other guy gets his money or the contract is fulfilled, that's an end of the strife. Nothing else to argue about then. The other guy is going to get what is, what is due to him no matter what, whether it's you or not. That's the, the example that he's using here. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, here's how God works, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability. The word immutability means unchangeable nature. God was more willing to show how unchanging his word is. Therefore, he confirmed it with an oath. That by two unchanging things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. That means sure foundation. A strong consolation. Who have fled for refuse to lay hope, lay hold upon the hope set before us. It says there's two unchanging things about God. His word and his oath. And his oath is surely it shall come to pass. Surely it shall come to pass. Are you aware that of any other places in the Bible where God said surely? How about Isaiah 53, 4? Surely he has borne our transgressions and carried our pains. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I misquoted the first one. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, pains and sicknesses. The only surely in the Messianic chapter is about sickness and disease being carried away. Surely. That's God making an oath. That's God swearing. It's this way and no other way. Numbers 23 says, verse 19, I think it is, said, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? 
Has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? Has he spoken it and shall it not make it good? Has he said it and shall he not perform it? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This is something the Holy Spirit spoke to me the other morning just as I was awakening. Just as I was waking up in the morning, still early, wasn't quite light outside, kind of in between dark and light. As I woke up, I heard those words, forever, thy word is settled in heaven. And boy, that's been going off over on, on the inside of me over and over and over and over and over again. I, you know, it's an important thing for us to pick out scriptures that we want to meditate on, but I love when the Holy Ghost gives me one to work. I love that. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, let me tell you what it did for me. There were some things that I was dealing with, and I had gotten to the point where I'm thinking, okay, Lord, there's something about this that's not working. And I started meditating on forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I started talking to the Holy Ghost about being the spirit of truth. John 16, 13, Jesus said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. The word truth is also translated reality. I don't know about you, but I want to know what's real. I don't care about doctrine. I don't care about people thinking I'm a good teacher. I don't care about any of that kind of stuff. I want to know what's real. That's what drives me. If I'm a good teacher, it's going to be because I find out what's real and tell you about it. So far, so good. Because God's word is real. But there are things that the word doesn't cover that I'll need to know about. I want to know what's real. Part of the work of the Holy Ghost is he'll show you things to come. So I've been, I've been meditating. I've been talking to the Holy Ghost about that. Holy Spirit, you guide me into all reality. You are the spirit of truth. You guide me into all reality and you show me things to come. Well, because I'd gotten my eyes so much on the things that, that uh, weren't working the way that I wanted them to work. When I started meditating on forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It came just as clear as a bell. It was like a, a big wind came and blew away a cloud. It came, it became, became just as, just as clear to me. There were things that God spoke to me about some time ago that I, I just put on the shelf, hadn't been meditating on, just set aside that answered my, my situation. He said it to me before the situation arose. He was trying to help me, trying to guide, guide me. And I had just gotten busy on some things and kind of set that aside. And it was almost as if, and it, these weren't words that came, but it was almost as if the Lord was saying, I've already told you about this. Why didn't you listen? Well, for the same reason other people don't listen, I got busy. I didn't intend to not listen, but things get away from you. Paul said, don't let the things of God slip. Well, sometimes they will if you're not careful. If you don't take care to do it, but thank God for the Holy Ghost. He brought back the things I'd let slip. Answered my questions. I realized things are working exactly the way that I thought they were supposed to or the way that they are supposed to. They're working exactly the way that they should. This is a different situation. They're two entirely different things, and I've mixed them up together. I'm not under the curse. God's word is true. Man, my faith's been working. I hate to use this, this, this saying. Brother Hagin used to say it this way, and I don't know any other way or better way to say it, but my faith's been working almost like magic since then. And the only change that, was, that occurred is in my thinking. The only change that occurred was in my confidence. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. If God's made a promise to you, it's impossible for it to fail. And he's made a lot of them. God made a promise to you of healing. 
Actually, we use that, I use that term casually, carefully, uh, carelessly in some cases, because God really hadn't made a promise to you of healing. God's told you what he's already done about healing. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. That's not a promise. With his stripes you're healed. That's not a promise. That's a fact. That's a fact. Wigglesworth, interesting, whatever you think about this, you decide. But since I've been meditating on forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, the Lord seemed to bring me back to something that Wigglesworth talked about around this, about this area. And he said this. He said, I'm surrounded with facts. I'm surrounded with facts. The facts of God's word are greater than any other facts that exist. And I'm surrounded with facts. I'm building my house on the foundation of facts. From the revelation knowledge of God's word. I love that. See, so many times people look at the word of God. They look at scriptures and and, and things that the Bible says belongs to us. And they look at it like, oh, if only that could be so. Folks, if the Bible says it, it's a fact. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. That's a fact. Now, you may have contradicting facts. One of those facts are going going to pass away or disappear. Another one of those facts will never disappear. You decide which is which. It doesn't surprise me that God used Wigglesworth in the the gift of faith in the way that he did. Because of the way that he approached things, the word of God was the final authority, was the final say-so in anything and everything that he came upon. God finds somebody that can operate, is willing to operate like that, willing to stand, willing to hang on no matter what. Realizing that it wasn't his faith, Wigglesworth never even claimed to be strong in faith. He just said God's word's true. Now, whether you know it or not, that is being strong in the Lord. I think many times we read Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we think it's talking about us being strong in us. Oh, yeah, I've got to be strong. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be strong in you. I know it's being strong in you, the Lord. In other words, accept it. Accept the fact that he's the one that does the job, not you. Accept the fact that the word is true no matter what it looks like. Accept the fact that the word is true no matter whose report you get that contradicts it. Accept the fact that the word cannot fail no matter who says anything to the, to the reverse or to, to, the, to the opposite. No matter who takes an opposing view. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. Healing is a settled fact. Well, if you get that across to people, the church would walk in hell. Healing is an established fact. Healing is an established fact. You're building your house on something. Your house is your life. Your Christian life is built on something. What is it built on? I think some people are building partway on the sand and partway on the rock. They may be built on the rock where Jesus dying for their sins is concerned, but they're building on the sand where the other blessings of God are concerned. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but if that's your situation, I suggest you move your house. Think about that. God laid the foundations of the universe with his word. Don't you think his word's big enough to lay the foundations for your life? The Bible says that the world, the universe itself is upheld by the power of the word of God. 
In other words, the earth keeps spinning, keeps traveling around the sun because God's word says that's the way it's going to be. Do you realize what would happen to the universe if the word of God had any lack of power, any power failure to any degree whatsoever? Everything would come undone. It's the power of God's word, or literally the word of his power, not the power of his word, but the word of his power, his word which carries power that causes everything to to work the way that it's supposed to work. The laws of physics work because of the word of God's power. Gravity is holding us here on the earth because God's word was spoken. So his word's greater than gravity. Yet look at how we trust gravity. Look at how we trust the laws of physics, the physical laws of nature. The only reason they work is because God's word said this is the way it'll be. Yet we take the same word that says by Jesus stripes we were healed. And Christians, people that say God's their father and Jesus is their Lord. Christians will say, well, I just don't know about that. Seriously? It's the same word that's keeping the universe in place. It's the same word that's keeping the earth spinning around the sun. Same word that causes the sun to keep warming the earth and sustaining life. But people take a position that, well, I'm not sure about healing. When the word says, surely, he has carried our pains and borne our griefs. Surely. That's God swearing. Like I said, that doesn't sound a lot like men swearing. But that's God swearing. Surely. He has carried our pains and borne our griefs. Surely. It's impossible for that surely to pass away. It's impossible for his word to fail. Wigglesworth used to say this. Forgive me for talking about Wigglesworth. I spent the afternoon with him. So Wigglesworth used to say this. He used to get somebody in the crowd that had a hard situation. And he'd bring them up to the front, get them right before the platform, say, does anybody know this person? Well, you know, people would raise their hands all over. Yeah, we know. He's had this situation. He's been in this condition for a long time. Looked like a real hard thing. And so then he'd ask the crowd, how many of you believe that God can heal this person? Well, everybody raised their hand. There's no responsibility on God can. Then he said, how many of you believe that when we pray, God will heal him right now? Well, a lot fewer hands would go up on that one, as is true in any crowd. And so he would always challenge the crowd. He said, why are you so afraid to say? By your uplifted hand that God will heal him. Like it's possible for God not to hear our prayer. Think about that. Is it possible for God to not hear your prayer if you're praying according to his word? Is it possible for him not to heal when healing is based on the word? When healing is a fact of God's word. That'll never pass away. Is it possible for God to fail when his word is claimed? Folks, that's impossible. Psalm 138 verse 2 says this. It says, God has exalted his word above his name. God has exalted his word above his name. Look at the attitude. I don't know what your attitude toward the word is. I hope it's, uh, I hope the word's first and foremost in your life. If it's not, it should be. But notice God's attitude toward his word. He's exalted it above his name. He's exalted it above his name. That means his name 
which represents the power, his ability, which the Bible says is unlimited, is secondary to his word. He's exalted his word above his name. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. That's God swearing. Surely, healing is yours. Let's pray. Oh, Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, there are numbers of people here that are standing on your word for healing, that are believing that the Bible is true, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we're healed. Father, open our eyes to this established reality that healing is ours. Open our eyes, Father, to the established fact that the Holy Ghost is in us, quickening our mortal bodies. Open our eyes to the established fact that divine healing flows from our spirit to our flesh. Open our eyes, Father, to the fact that your blessing of healing is already ours. Father, we count it done because the word of God declares that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. Therefore, we stand upon your word, Father, refusing to turn loose, refusing to back down, refusing to give up. We shall be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Thank you, Father, that healing is done for us, in us, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me encourage you to do something this week. Let me encourage you to meditate on Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. See what a difference it makes in you in a week's time. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.